Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. And I've just got to say that it feels really great to be back after taking a month break from recording, which reminds me and brings me back to a really important point, which is that there's so much value in being intentional about rest and setting boundaries. So I hope that you all are finding time to take care of your physical, mental, and emotional selves, both now and on a regular basis. And I bring this up at the top of the show because in my opinion, it's of top importance, but also because I feel like this summer has a very chaotic energy to it. And I don't know if any of you feel the same way, could just be me personally, Um, props to all of you if you're out there like thriving right now, but I feel like this summer for me has brought up a lot of very like chaotic energy. Um, And that has been a really important moment in time for me to revisit and remind myself that just as we as advocates show up for our communities and others, We also need to show up for ourselves so that we're able to have stamina and longevity in this work. So my request to all of you, our dear listeners, is to consider what is it that nourishes your soul and what gives you energy and how will you make space for that moving forward? And so with that, I would love to introduce you all to our guest today. And I am so excited for you all to get to know Daniela Hewson because she is such a wonderful human and someone that I feel very fortunate to have as a partner in ocean conservation and advocacy. She is bright and kind and working on an incredibly important issue, which is noise pollution. And we will get into that a little bit more later, but without further ado, Daniela, welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you so much, Jenna. That was beautiful, and I completely agree with you that right now is a really important time to be taking care of ourselves. Um, It's been a rough summer for everyone, a rough couple of years, but I'm so honored to be here. Um, I look up to you so much, and yeah, I'm excited to get this show started. Yeah, and so I, I know that we've operated in this ocean advocacy space together for a few years now, so I feel like we're familiar with like our professional selves, but I want to get to know you, Daniela, the multifaceted human, a little bit better <laughs> before we talk about your work. So will you bring me up to speed a little bit on some of your background? So really anything that you feel comfortable sharing that gives me and listeners a better sense of who you are and where you're from. Definitely. So I am from Marin County, California. That is right across the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Um, I yeah lived there for 18 years. So I went to college. Um, I went to UC San Diego. Um, and what else? Well, yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area spending a lot of time at the beach. And I've always had a strong love for the ocean and animals. Um, 
I have a few siblings. They're six, seven, and ten years older. Um, and yeah, it's a little bit about me. Yeah, and so I understand that you have been on quite an adventure this summer, which I'm I'm envious of because it sounds amazing. And that you're actually joining us from a brief moment back home during what sounds like this incredible cross-country road trip. And I'm just curious to know more about how this road trip came to be and how it's going so far. Yeah. So we decided, my boyfriend and I, Alex, decided to start this road trip um, about nine months ago. And I guess that's kind of like... When a little bit after when COVID hit, um, and all the offices closed down, and we were living in San Francisco, and the rent was super high, and um, we're just like, why don't we just get a trailer and go see the country? <laughs> and we first we did a test run for a couple months, and then came back, and then went out again. Um, and yeah, we um, have seen twenty four states now. And we're in a travel trailer, Tab 400. It's like a little teardrop trailer. Um, it's just like 18 feet long. It has all the basic necessities, um, but it's really perfect for what we're doing. Yeah, that's so cool. And what are some of the favorite your favorite places that you've visited so far? And um, during your time on the road, has anything like surprised you or – have you noticed any like patterns or trends or just like what's stuck out to you from exploring this just incredibly huge and diverse country that we all call home? Yeah. So every state has something super beautiful and unique to offer. Um, my Probably one of my favorites would be Florida because we were there during the winter. <laughs> we were there for three months. Uh, we couldn't leave. Um I remember the moment we crossed over the Florabama line between like Florida and Alabama and we stopped at Grayton Beach and I saw like the most white pristine beaches um, that I didn't even know existed in our country and there's a bunch of other little cute towns um, in Florida like St. George and Anna Maria Island. Um, we went kayaking with the gators and crocodiles in the Everglades and actually in an, in an inflatable kayak too. Oh my God. <laughs> so That's that was so pretty wild. epic. I, I was really scared at some points, but um, I guess afterward I was like, okay, that was worth it. But during my heart was racing. Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards you're like, what a memory. <laughs> yeah. And you know, the gators, if you don't bug them, it's not like they're going to come and try to attack you. Um, yeah. it's like sharks. <laughs> exactly. Um, and we also went kayaking with the manatees in, um, three sister spring, like in crystal river. And that was super amazing. So are all of these places, in like a certain region of Florida or did you kind of go around the whole state being from, I mean, I grew up in a Coast Guard family, so I, I'm well-traveled. I've been to many places, but the Southeast is a bit of a gap for me. So my my knowledge of where some of these places are in Florida are, are not as strong as they should be. <laughs> yeah. 
Most of these places I've said so far are on the western side. This was all like before we got to Miami, but we kind of like stuck to like the whole coast of Florida. And then we went down to like Key West, all the way down to the um, Dry Tortugas National Park. We took a seaplane out there. That was super cool. Um, a bunch of wildlife out there. Um, but there was like a bunch of fish and corals growing on these pylons from an old dock. Um, really beautiful. I don't know if you've been out there. It's like the southernmost tip. I haven't. Yes, I've always wanted to go, but I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. I think the most south in Florida I've been is Fort Lauderdale, which off before we started recording, I was telling you about is actually where this whole podcasting journey began for me because that's where I met Peter and right. Tyler, which um, is just funny. So prop, props yeah, to Florida. Yeah, we went there too. <laughs> anyway, so that's a lot about Florida, but I loved the Carolinas, um, Massachusetts, which I know you love. <laughs> um, Louisiana was really cool. Georgia, Utah, Arizona, West Virginia. Like, I, I mean, you know, like I said, every state has something really beautiful to offer. Yeah. I, f- I feel like from traveling around, I mean, it's been a long time since I've done a, a road trip. Um, but when we were, when my, my brother and I were young and my dad was still really active in his Coast Guard career, when we had to move from place to place, um, my parents would make road trips out of it. So we would be able to see the country and sort of learn about different places. And I think for them, maybe make it a little bit more fun. And I think that's definitely something I noticed too, is like every state has something really special about it. And even though we're like one big country together, it it can almost in a way feel like every state is its own like little country with its own culture and its own sights to see. And it's just such a, it, it, I don't know, it it makes you feel really fortunate just to, to live here and be able to travel freely around um, all the different States and all the different geographies. Pretty special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super special. Yeah. And like you said, it's like some of these States, it seems like they just have their whole different culture, especially compared to California where I'm from. Um, and it was interesting to see how differently each of the states and like respective cities dealt with environmental issues. Um, I remember seeing a person walk out of a convenience store um, after being given gum in a plastic bag, and it was like you don't need, you know, plastic bag for your gum, or like grocery stores not offering paper bags, um, and trailer parks and apartment units not offering recycling. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of sad to see. Like, I, I know people who I want to recycle, but they can't because their apartment doesn't offer it. Um, and then I also know people who think recycling is pointless and there's no need to do it. And then I have other people who are composting and growing veggies in their backyard. So it makes you wonder, like, you know, what's the solution here? It's both individual and like systemic things that need to be changed. For sure. And, you know, there, I feel like those same trends that you're mentioning, if you probably ran some sort of experiment, they probably are running parallel to some, some views on um, the COVID-19 pandemic and getting the vaccine, you know, and we're just so diverse in who lives here and their culture and their beliefs. And I think, 
the same things that are very beautiful about the country and that you can appreciate and admire sometimes can be some of the biggest frustrations too. (laughs) Completely. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's clear to me from just working with you through our my job with the Healthy Ocean Coalition and your job with Ocean Conservation Research, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, um, and then you know what I've heard from you on this this recording so far is that you you just have such a passion for uh, exploring and nature and conservation, and I'm wondering if you feel like like has that always been there for you? Like, has that passion and that drive just been like central to who you are? Is that something that developed over time? Like, how did those values form? Yeah. Well, I I guess kind of a mixture of both. I do have this one memory of when I was like, I don't even know, in grade school and I was at Six Flags Marine World, you know, like one of those amusement parks and they had, um, they had Shamu the orca (laughs) yeah (laughs) and my friend was like come on let's go see Shamu and I I remember this feeling of just like ew like wow I don't want to go see an orca in a bathtub like and I went and saw it and it just felt wrong I was like why are people so amused by this um Mm -hmm. but you know I wasn't like fully into this advocacy work um well, it started with animal advocacy in college. I took an ethics class and had to write a paper about whether it was morally okay for animals to be in factory farms or whether it was morally okay to really kill them at all. Um, and I went into that section of the class like not knowing what happens behind the closed doors of these slaughterhouses. And yeah, afterwards, I became fully vegan for like eight years. Um, now I'm a little bit more vegetarian, but anyways, I started an animal rights club and embarked on my path toward uh, helping save the planet. Yeah, you know, I had a, a similar experience. I I had already given up eating meat before this happened, but one of my first jobs in the conservation field was at Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge off the coast of Virginia, and it's this really remote rural area. And they have a bunch of different chicken plants. So like Tyson and Purdue are there. And, you know, because it's so out of sight for a lot of people, you don't really think about – it's very easy for people here to like not think about where their food comes from. But like every time I had to go – you know, I had to like drive like a half an hour to get to like this the closest like little town center to buy groceries and stuff but you'd be driving by and you would see these tractor trailer trucks that they don't have like sides it's just a chicken truck and so it's just like packed to the brim with chickens and then you would drive by the plant and like i i feel like i'm pretty tolerant to different you know i, I don't know i just don't feel like i'm very like sensitive to smells or like getting dirty or that kind of thing but like the smell of a chicken processing plant is one of the grossest things that I have ever experienced. And I like, I always had this thought of if I hadn't already stopped meeting, eating meat before then it, that would have done it. Like I think more people need to, and that wasn't even seeing what happens behind the walls there. And like, I've definitely seen videos and, and done my research about what goes on in like big feedlots and, 
in the plants, but it was like, even that was enough just to be like something that smells like that is not meant for <laughs> humans not right. to, <laughs> to really be consuming. I don't know. It just oh my gosh, it I agree. was life changing and I think really solidified any, if there was ever any drive for me to go back to eating meat. It, I, like I still think about it sometimes and just am horrified. Oh no. Yeah, but it's <laughs> the also, smell that haunts you. Yeah, God, no. But um, I mean, you also mentioning, I just think it's it's interest. I love I love having these conversations with people like you who, you know, we've collaborated for years, but you don't really know like what is that path that you took to get to where you are and like understanding the human behind the work, I think is so important. Yeah. And, you know, uh, growing up uh, when one of the places we lived was in Hawaii and, um, of course, surrounded by incredible nature and the ocean and wildlife, I have very early memories of going to SeaWorld. And I think for me, my young brain didn't quite comprehend quite yet that it's not the wisest decision or ethical to hold really intelligent marine mammals in captivity. And so some of my first experiences like up close and personal with some of these animals like dolphins was at SeaWorld. And I like one of my, the first jobs I ever wanted to have when I was like four or five was I wanted to be a dolphin trainer. And then oh. I, it like turned into, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but then I realized like the veterinarians have to put animals down. And so then I, I sort of steered away from that. So it feels like, like that had always also been there for me. And we had kind of similar experiences, but you were more like, I feel like you were ahead of ahead of your time with being like, this isn't natural. <laughs> yeah, I guess so with that. Thank you. <laughs> um. Um, yeah. So then from there, like what, another thing that I, I like to explore is not only like early on just how these values formed, but what was the process like for you to actually secure a job in the conservation space? Yeah. So um, when I graduated college, well, I traveled for a little bit first and then got back and I applied to many nonprofits. Um, and at first I wanted, or well, my family wanted me to take the corporate route. And I like did a few job interviews with some big companies and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is not for me. My heart is in the nonprofit sector and um, yeah, OCR had an internship um, available and I took it and um, it was an easy yes. And the role really just transitioned into what I do now, which is media and marketing for ocean conservation research. Yeah. And so as we start to pivot into talking a little bit more about ocean conservation research, the central focus, as I understand it, is you all are these like noise pollution gurus. And I'm not sure that everyone is familiar with what that term or concept of noise being a form of pollution even is. And, you know, like even as terrestrial beings, we certainly are exposed to noise pollution, especially in places like where I live in a city, like the Boston area or industrial areas or airports. Um, but there's a different dynamic in the ocean. So I'm wondering if before we get into some of the OCR 
stuff and learning about what you all do as an organization, if you will explain a little bit more about what noise pollution is and why it's a problem. So a little over 100 years ago, humans started to bring machines into the sea. And before the mechanization of maritime travel, all sounds in the ocean were generated by nature. The winds and waves, lightning, the breaking of ice, earthquakes, um, and of course, the vast repertoire of biological sounds. Um, And the ocean can naturally be a very loud place, but marine animals in the ocean had tens to hundreds of millions of years to adapt and evolve to the noise. Um, We're now rapidly introducing noises that are entirely new to their ocean habitat. And the ocean is actually 10 times louder than it was just 50 years ago. And that's solely due to human causes. Um, And the estimate is based only on the noise from transoceanic shipping. So noise pollution really impacts animals across all taxa, including cetaceans, pinnipeds, fishes, and marine invertebrates. Which is so important too, to think about like, you know, when we we use our like our voice in our ears or you know visual communication to interact with each other but so many of these marine life and and different animals rely so heavily on sonar and sound for everything that they do most marine animals really depend on sound for their survival Um, And sound travels five times faster and farther in the water than it does in air. And light really can only reach a few hundred feet below the ocean surface. So if you think about it, at least half of their lives are spent navigating the ocean under the veil of night. And they depend on sound to navigate, to communicate, to find prey, to protect themselves from predators and to find food. Yeah. And so um, what are some specific ways that noise pollution is affecting marine life and the ocean? Like what does it actually do to things that are living there other than what you already just cited? Yeah. So we know that there are persistent background noises like the noise from container ship that increases stress in whales, fish, and even oysters. And we know that cetaceans simplify their calls to be heard over human-made noise. So it's kind of similar to how we would simplify our communication to each other at a loud concert and that they can hear each other over shorter distances. Um, So these noises from human industry make it harder to find mates to protect themselves from predators. communicate and to look for prey. Um, uh, There's also seismic air gun blasting that comes from the oil and gas industry. And they're basically searching for oil and gas beneath the seafloor. And these blasts happen every 10 to 15 seconds, days to months at a time. And they're loud enough to cause physical hearing damage to marine animals. And then There's also mid-frequency military sonar, and that's been proven to be the most troubling acoustical assault on marine life. Um, This is associated with the stranding of marine mammals 
most commonly the toothed whales, but minke whales have also washed up onto shore after the use of these sonars. Um, so yeah, it can be anything from not allowing them to communicate to actually killing them. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you. Enjoy the show. And now I'm interested in learning more about your work with ocean conservation research and how you as an organization are addressing noise pollution. Awesome. Yeah. So I work as the media and marketing director for OCR, as I mentioned earlier, and I create educational videos. I manage social media and marketing, and I help manage our website. Um, I really wear a lot of hats, but that's mainly what I focus on. Um, And at OCR, we're a scientific research and policy development organization. And we engage in scientific research to better understand how various kinds of human-generated noise impacts marine animals. Um, We also engage in policy work, lobbying out in Washington on behalf of marine life. And our executive director, Michael Stucker, has written a bunch of articles and um, publications and presents at lectures throughout America and like Europe on topics of bioacoustics and the impacts of man-made noise in the marine acoustic environment. He's like the go-to noise pollution guy. (laughs) (laughs) So who are the biggest noise polluters out there? So the oil and gas industry, um, but thankfully that's beginning to change as we switch over to renewable energy like wind, power, and solar. as I was mentioning, the seismic air gun surveys are really noisy and awful. Um, And the shipping noise is another big one. There's something like 60,000 container ships that are traversing the ocean at any given minute. And this has created kind of like ocean highways. Um, It's like an omnipresent rumbling sound in pretty much every corner of our ocean. Um, basically what happens is there's the cativation and turbulence that's generated by the propellers and this is the dominant noise source but there's also transmission of the mechanical noise through a ship's hull Um, and then the other one is military sonar so those are like the three like biggest noise polluters out there and I feel like this would be a good time to transition Um, I want to play a little game with you Jenna okay um, if you can guess what the sound that is playing, what it is. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. 
That sounds to me like a ship's engine. Um, it is man-made, so you're close. Okay. That one was the mid-frequency sonar. Oh, man. I can see why that's such a problem. Right. And if you listen to that, like, full blast with headphones on, I mean, don't do that to your eardrums. But it's <laughs> awful. And you, Yeah, I mean, that was, what, like, down. three seconds of it? Yeah. And I was like, get these headphones off my ears. <laughs> I know. Okay. Ready for the next one. You know, part of me wanted to guess that that was something man-made, but I, I also – it, like, had this sort of, uh, like, sonar-y sound, but it, I wonder – I'm going to guess that that was some sort of mammal communicating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any guess which one? Um, dolphins. Well, close is a beluga. Those are belugas oh, okay. hunting. So a toots well, whale, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, okay, next one. Um, I mean, that just sounded like a – I feel like that just sounded like a general, like, white noise of the sea. Like, uh, maybe I'll re-guess ships. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that like rumbling sound that I was saying earlier is like omnipresent throughout the ocean pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, next one. That's such a haunting sound. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of whale. Yep. Which whale I um I do not know, but I will guess humpback. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two <laughs> Crushing it. All right. If you guess next one, I'm going to be really impressed. <laughs> that is so odd. It sounds, um, you know, it sounds like a distant hum from an airplane. I know that that's not my guess, but like that's – I'm trying to figure out like what – It does kind of sound like that. Yeah, like off in the distance. Um, so I'm going to go with that's a man-made sound and that – oh, this is funny because I don't know if you can hear this on the recording, but right as I said that there is an airplane sound actually happening over the place <laughs> Um, okay, so <laughs> yeah, um, maybe that's like a someone drill drilling to do, like put like I don't know like a cable or something like a something like that. It, in the, in it the does seafloor. sound like that, but yeah. So that's actually um, a midshipman. It's two midshipmen courting a female. So little fish <laughs> and yeah, and salsalito. That's, so, that's wild. <laughs> Oh my yeah. gosh. That would have been like that would have been really impressive if I guessed that. I know, right? <laughs> I was like, no, there's no way. That's a hard one. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a hard one. Um Yeah. People back in the day, um, in the Sausalito Harbor in California were really freaked out. There are these like houseboat residents that live there and they could hear it outside of the water and people thought it was like attributed to the military. 
Some thought it was some weird industrial project. Some people were like, no, it's the extraterrestrial. So everyone was weirded (laughs) out by that sound. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this is like a conversation for another podcaster, like offline, if we're ever able to like meet in DC again, if we have like drinks or something. But, um, you know, like there is, there is something to be wondered about just how much space there is in the ocean. Like if you're into paranormal or like UFO Mm -hmm. activity, I've I've always been like, I need to find someone to have a podcast about that because there's I feel like there's so many just interesting theories and experiences out there. But I could see if if you didn't know any better and you were just like out there and you're like, what in the world yeah, that'd is me the out. ocean doing? <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. Okay, so well, there's one yeah. final one. Okay, okay, I'm ready. Oh. So I know it. I think I'm like 99.9% sure I know what that is. That's a seismic blast. You got it. Woo! woo. <laughs> it's like, woo, I'm proud of myself for guessing that, but I'm also sad that that exists. <laughs> I know. Sounds awful. Yeah. So um, you probably know a lot more about this than I do, but it's like I've heard that – and by probably, I mean definitely um, – it's like standing next to like an airplane engine or something like that. That's just on constantly. Yeah. Um, it would be really annoying like that and probably hurt your ears, but it's hard to compare sound in the air versus sound in water, you know, just cause they're so different. And also every animal's like sound perception is so different. So it affects like different species differently. Um, but it would be like as annoying or potentially damaging your hearing as the, um, air gun surveys do. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with me. That was a lot of fun. That, that and honestly, that was the first game that I've ever played on my podcast. So <laughs> it's oh, like a little yeah. bit of like <laughs> podcast historic moment. Um, and you know, the work that you do is, it's just so fascinating and important. And I feel like you, and Michael and, you know, everybody that's in this field, I mean, just even broader than ocean noise pollution, but I think specifically this issue I think is so interesting. Um, and I'm wondering, like, what what is, like, the most surprising or interesting thing that you've learned so far from working in that yeah. space? Mm-hmm. Well, honestly – when I when I started this role, I didn't know much about uh, noise pollution at all, and so learning over the last like three or four years how much marine animals depend on sounds to survive and prosper, and that some animals like humpbacks and blue whales they can call and sense sounds across thousands of miles, and like cuvier's beaked whales they can dive nearly ten thousand feet, so that's like eight empire state buildings navigating the dark ocean depths using the power of echolocation to hunt for squid um and what's also super cool is that fish actually have ears and they produce a lot of sounds as um, we heard like yeah. chirps and grunts <laughs> and pops and crackles um yeah <laughs> And if you ever stick your head in the ocean, just listen. Sometimes you can hear like little snapping shrimp going off. And uh, yeah, it's it's just really a wonderful, beautiful world of sound beneath the ocean surface and learning 
about it has been amazing. There's still so much to learn. Yeah. And I, you know, I also imagine, you know, when thinking about learning and what we can learn from working in this space that sort of like what I was rambling about at the top of the show, some of this work can be heavy. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to learn more about what are some of the more challenging parts of your work and, um, not to fully just take us into like a, a hole where we feel like sad or too heavy. What are some of the things that you've learned from those challenges? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely noise pollution is an arcane subject and it's not fully understood and sometimes not known to people at all. Um, like you were saying earlier, it's really not like as easy of a topic to understand compared to plastics, for example, because we as humans are visual creatures by nature. Um, but realistically, noise pollution could be an easier problem to solve than plastics, because if we just turned the volume down, the problem would be solved. And if we stopped making plastics today, there would still be hundreds of millions of pieces of plastic floating around in the ocean. So I guess the greatest challenge lies in getting more of the public to better understand this issue so we can continue further research and policy development to protect marine animals from noise pollution. And um, what I've learned is that I can get more of the general public to care about this issue by focusing more on how important sound perception and phonation is for animals, ranging from fish to whales. Um, people love to hear the sound of whales. Like when you heard that, you were just like, oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And, you know, to learn how dolphins echolocate. Um, I think educating the general public with compelling information about the world of sound that comes to life in the ocean um, helps them understand like why it's a problem um there's a quote i really love by baba diom i'm not sure if i'm butchering his last name d-i-o-u-m and it says in the end we will only conserve what we love we will only we will love only what we understand and we will understand only what we are taught so that's yeah it's something i really go by and um in, in my um, role at OCR, somehow I managed over the last few years to get us like something like 300,000 followers. And these are like real followers, not like ones I bought or something. And it, it <laughs> you're like, somehow I managed with my credit card to get us. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting to see it. It actually started to happen um, at the beginning of COVID when. I like I was working from home and you know COVID was happening and everyone's all freaked out and I'd go on social media and everything was like negative and everyone felt like the world was ending or whatever and so when I started posting stuff on OCR's page I was like all right maybe I should relax a little bit on the negative like alarming horrible stuff that makes everyone have anxiety and sad like we all have enough anxiety um so I just started creating more educational content um, and inspiring content and like people just love it. Um, yeah, I think that's such an important 
just observation that you had and a true testament to just how you operate as a professional and as an organization. It's, and even what you just did here on the podcast with like making it into a game and you like, so like you got me invested into it and, and like really engaged in listening and, and using my critical thinking skills to try to figure out what the noises are. And I think that that is a a huge part of solving or addressing any challenge just in general that you, you need to get people on board and meet them where they're at and it's okay to make it fun, right? Like I think the easiest way to get people to shut down is to be doom and gloom all the time and that's not to say that we should not be taking climate in this crisis that we're in seriously because it is like the most serious problem in my opinion but you know there are ways if you're trying to to inspire and get behavior change in, in people that might not be as like in on the issue as, as you and I are just interested in it. Like making it interesting and engaging and fun can be one of the m- most beneficial things to do. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, this sort of brings me to another curiosity that I had about your work, which is what brings you the most joy? out of doing this? Yeah. Um, well, receiving positive feedback from our online community is definitely up there. Um, they like Sometimes I'll get comments on how much they appreciate our content. And I remember one woman commenting on one of our videos saying that um, our content was helping her get through chemotherapy in the hospital. And just little things like that that I'm like, I know, I'm like, oh my goodness, that actually made me cry. (laughs) Um, That the work I'm doing is impacting so many people and um, I'm spreading OCR's mission and like building a community around it. It's just so special um, and I'm extremely grateful for it. Um, Yeah, and it it made me realize the power of social media. In a good way, using it in a good way, because, you know, it can be used in both. It can be totally destructive um, to society and divisive and, like, you know, just the worst thing. Or we can try to make it the best and, like, help unite people who are, whether you're Democratic or Republican or religious or not or whatever, like, have everyone come together over their love for the ocean. And that's, at the end of the day, what it's about. Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's something that I've talked about a little bit before, too, because I, I run our social media pages through the Healthy Ocean Coalition. And yes, I have seen the social dilemma and understand that there is a major problem going on out there with certain aspects of social media. But I I sort of view it as like, you know, if people are going to be on it and people aren't getting off of it anytime soon – you can carve out your own little space of interest and positivity and teach people something and use it for good versus using it to compare your body to others or, you know, get into an argument with a t- troll exactly. or, you know, like. <laughs> Oh, I know. We even get trolls sometimes. I'm like, you cannot troll on us. You just gotta gotta block them out and ignore the trolls. (laughs) Um, So, 
Speaking of social media, but also, you know, your website and all of that, how can people learn more about both noise pollution and then what you all do at OCR? Yeah. So our website, it's easy. It's just OCR.org. We have plenty of educational information on there. And you can also check out um, some of these educational videos that I've been talking about um, on Facebook and Instagram on how marine animals communicate. Um, And we're in the middle of that series right now. And we have some other educational videos um, that are really fun. And um, yeah, I think I named, oh, I guess at Ocean Conservation Research is our Instagram and you can find us that way on Facebook too. Yeah. So everybody go give them a follow and stay in touch and engage with what they're posting because they do a really great job. And I don't want to wrap up this conversation without just briefly discussing creativity and art if you're up for it, because I understand that you also have a creative side and I really appreciate and admire that because I also really value um, that part of my identity and creative outlets So, sort of circling, bringing it full circle to how we started and thinking about like what gives you energy and and what like feeds your soul. Um, You know, I think creativity and and having outlets for that and art can be really incredible for um, self-expression and mental health and processing emotions and just sort of like showing the world how you view it or what you find beautiful. And um, I understand that you are, you're in the midst of, of some really interesting creative stuff. So I didn't know if you'd want to share a little bit about that and what you're doing and, and how you connect to your creative side. Yeah, I really agree with everything you just said. Um, art and creativity mean self-expression to me, you know, through singing and dancing and photography. Um, I love expressing my energy in ways that are authentic to who I am. Um, and it just, yeah, it's a good way to release your emotions too. Emotion is energy in motion. So, you know, if you're feeling a certain way and you just dance it out, sing it out, you feel better afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) And so this, you have a song out that's, it's out now, or is it coming out? Um, so I have a song that's out. It's called Beating Heart. And my um, artist name is Wind Kisser. And uh, yeah, I just gave my first performance on Saturday in San Francisco. Um, and I mean, that was amazing. And we'll see where it goes from there. But it's it's really just a fun thing that I enjoy doing. Um, and definitely plan on making some more music. I love to hear it. And yes, everybody go check check it out. Um, I've I've gotten to listen to her new release and loved it. It's a really uplifting song. So um, I highly recommend going to check it out and supporting Daniela. Um, and if you if you want how to share how how people can follow along with you personally. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is at Daniela Houston, D-A-N-I-E-L-A-H-U-S-O-N. And, um, yeah, check out the video too, for beating heart. It's on YouTube, but, um, I've gotten since OCR, I started getting into, uh, video production. And so I actually made that video too. So it's a lot of fun to make. Oh, I didn't realize that. 
Yeah. Even many well, talents. I did. It's like the post-production. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. And, you know, I, I wrap up with my every show with the asking my guests a series of it's like three and a half questions to it's just become like this really uh, interesting little experiment to see how people respond to the same set of questions. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll start with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we are facing? Okay. Well, sadly, humans are overpopulating the planet and demanding far too many finite resources. And this overconsumption leads to depleted fish stocks, destruction of rainforests for animal agriculture, destruction of coral reefs, um, you know, it leads to waste runoff, plastic and man-made noise and polluting our oceans. And of course, climate change. Um, you know, I, I think there's actually a lot we can learn through observing animals in the wild who first evolved like over 50 million years ago and have contributed mm-hmm. to the longevity rather than the destruction of our planet. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I think the overconsumption, overpopulation is really the issue here. <laughs> and what are you hopeful for moving forward? Um, well, back to the social media thing. Um, as I've continued to grow these pages, um, I've realized again, how many people across the globe, um, regardless of their political or religious stance, um, even if they've never seen the ocean before, have a love for the ocean and the the beautiful beings it holds. And as I've traveled across the entire nation, I've enjoyed the beauty of national parks with new people that I've met that have entirely different political and religious perspectives than myself. Um, I even remember this meeting this one guy who didn't understand why we as humans depend on a healthy ocean. So at the end of the day, most every single person on this planet, like I was saying earlier, is in awe of when they see the ocean or a dolphin leaping through the air, or they're upset when they see a dead dolphin stranded on a beach. Um, And point being, I'm hopeful that we can educate more and more of our community about why ocean conservation matters and create um, a bigger movement that helps make protecting our planet less of a political debate and more of like, okay, let's protect the planet because we need to. Yeah, absolutely. And so this last one is sort of a two-parter, which is what's the best advice that you've ever been given? And then we flip that around and say, what advice do you have for listeners? Okay. Well, the best advice I've been given, I guess, well, the quote Eleanor Roosevelt, she said, do one thing every day that scares you. And I really love that advice um, because I think it's really important to step outside of your comfort zone. That's where you grow and and expand as a person. And the advice that I have for our listeners to love yourself unconditionally um, and live in the present moment as much as you can. And like you were saying at the very beginning of this podcast, take care of yourself. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yes. I love that we came full circle with that. It's like a nice... That was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) It was beautiful. Well, Danielle, I've really enjoyed this conversation and getting to know you better. And I look forward to hopefully sometime in the near future, (laughs) fingers crossed, um, that we can get together in person sometime. It would be amazing. Yeah. I would absolutely love that. Yes. And in the meantime, I wish you all the best on the rest of your road trip and your journey. And uh, just look forward to continuing to work with you to protect our ocean. Oh, me too. Thank you so much, Jenna, for having me on this show and for being such an inspiration to everyone in the ocean community. Thank you. This is nice. It's like a little heartwarming love fest. (laughs) I also want to. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I also want to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show or other shows like this one on the American Shoreline Podcast Network, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Rates and reviews are always welcome. If you are somebody that enjoys using social media, you can find us on Facebook. We are the American Shoreline Podcast Network and also Coastal News Today. And on Twitter, we are at Coastal News 365. We're also that on Instagram. And then if you'd like to connect with me personally, I am Jenna Valente on Instagram and Yenna Benna on Twitter. So find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. Thank you.